Thank you. Thanks. So if you haven't gathered yet, Ken is off today. Uh, his daughter just got married yesterday. Um, and it was really a, a nice ceremony. And um, yeah, so how many of you have a friend or maybe you've met someone who you thought they would be? You know, you, uh, you meet someone and they weren't who you thought they'd be. And what I mean is this, you heard something about them, but then you met this person and they were not what you expected. I think of high school settings in small towns, sort of like this one, and the people I never attempted to socialize with because the rumor was they had a reputation that I did not want to associate with. Maybe the rumor was they had 12 cats, and why would I want to go to anyone's house who has 12 cats? You know, I'm not a big cat person. Whatever experience you've had in meeting someone and then being different than what you thought, particularly because you heard a rumor about what someone else said. This happens with God. People hear things about him, and they never come to meet him and find out for themselves. Oftentimes, it's because of the church spouting out things about God that simply are not true. They see the way we live, and they say, I don't want to attach my name to that. It's like the person you never socialized with because you made assumptions about them based on their current friends. Job 42.5 says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. In the message version, it says, I admit I once lived by rumors of you. As a church, we should not be living off of hearsay when it comes to God. Today, I want to look into Job. It's a poetic book. It's a form of biblical wisdom. So when you study this book, you aren't studying it for the purposes of understanding biblical history. You study it to gain wisdom and understanding of the character of God through Job, a man who lost everything. I want to start by reading a section in Job, chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Human life is a struggle, isn't it? It's a life sentence to hard labor, like field hands longing for quitting time and working shifts with nothing to hope for but payday. I'm given a life that meanders and goes nowhere. Months of aimlessness, nights of misery. I go to bed and think, how long till I can get up? I toss and turn as the night drags on and I'm fed up. I'm covered with maggots and scabs. My skin gets scaly and hard and then oozes with pus. My days come and go swifter than the click of knitting needles, and then the yarn runs out. An unfinished life. God, don't forget that I'm only a puff of air. These eyes have had their last look at goodness, and your eyes have seen the last of me. Even while you're looking, there'll be nothing left to look at. When a cloud evaporates, it's gone for good. Those who go to the grave never come back. They don't return to visit their families. Never again will friends drop in for coffee. And so I'm not keeping one bit of this quiet. I'm laying it all, on, laying it all out on the table. My complaining to high heaven is bitter but honest. Are you going to put a muzzle on me? 
the way you quiet the sea and still the storm. If I say I'm going to bed, then I'll feel better. A little nap will lift my spirits. You come and do scare me with nightmares and frighten me with ghosts that I'd rather strangle in the bedclothes than face this kind of life any longer. I hate this life. Who needs any more of this? Let me alone. There's nothing to my life. It's nothing but smoke. Job was a righteous man. And what I mean by this is that he feared God. Not a hide-behind-the-bushes type of fear where he hides in the closet. No, it was a fear you might have of your parents when you don't want to, when you don't get home when you're supposed to. It's the fear you have of the highway patrolman when you're going much faster than you should down the highway. It's because of the fear of authority you get home when you're supposed to. You don't go faster than you should on the highway. It would be because of the fear of authority. I know I love my parents, and I certainly appreciate the work of highway patrolmen, uh, but that does not mean I always listen to my parents and it still means I don't always follow the speed limit. Job loved God deeply. He's the dad praying for his kids' forgiveness for the horrible things they might do. He knows that as the, as the authority over his family, that sometimes his kids might sort of sin against God. So he prays for his kids and offers burnt offerings for each of them every day. Before Jesus, these burnt offerings were sacrifices made to purify them before God. It made them clean. We worship a just God, meaning sin cannot go unaccounted for. God does not turn his eye to any sin. Everything must be held to an account. No one, and this is still true today, gets out of this world without being held accountable to the sins that they've committed. But Jesus... Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, the only perfect sacrifice. So faith in him takes away our sin record. It was one sacrifice for all sin. When God looks at us or anyone with faith in Jesus, he sees the holiness and perfection of Jesus. Although he knows everything about us, our evil thoughts, the things we've done, to other people that you don't want to talk about, the anger you have toward others. God knows it all, but he doesn't hold it against you. Paul says this in Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been justified through our faith. But Job did not have Jesus he feared God enough to offer burnt offerings for his sons and daughters, you know, just in case. This is what God-fearing Jewish men did back, back then. Then one day, Job was sitting at his table in the kitchen. It was one of those mornings when the sun was peeking over the mountains and there was a light dew in the green grass. You could smell the grass clippings. And you could hear the cattle, the birds chirping. The air was dense, but surprisingly, it was a comfortable temperature. And the coffee smell is there. 
with the steam rising from the cup. And I imagine Job sitting in his kitchen. He has a smile on his face. And he's delighting himself in all God has given him. After a few minutes looking out into the fields, watching the clouds in the distance, Job hears a knock on his door. He gets up and sees the Maytag man. Pressed pants with a blue jacket, white shirt, a black tie, and you know his official looking hat. He has a tilted smile about him with a clean cut look. But there's a tremble in his eyes. There's no playing around here. Job is very rich. He has everything he needs to live comfortably and with satisfaction. He has sons and daughters who are grown, large fields with oxen and donkeys. He has camels and sheep. It's like he has this well-diversified business portfolio, all to leave to his children a real legacy. But the Maytag man at his door looks at him, and he says, all of your oxen and donkeys were killed, and everyone who was working there was also killed. And then another Maytag man came running up to him in a very upstraight fashion. He said, there was a fire, Joe. It killed all of your sheep and everything who was working with them. And then another main tag man came up to him and said, Job, all of your camels were stolen and they killed everyone who was watching over them. And then another main tag man came running up, but he wasn't as upright as the others. His head was tilted downward and his bottom lip had a little bit of a quiver. And there was Job. He's looking at all of these Maytag men with his eyes squinting as the sun continued rising. The sun now beating against his face, feeling the warmth of it, but still feeling cold. His head rotates, looking at all of them, wondering to himself, is all of this true? As the fourth Maytag man, with his head tilted down, he reached Job's back door and he looked up just slightly. The rim of his caps preventing you from seeing his eyebrows. And his eyes, his, his dark brown eyes, there's a blur, and it's the moisture building up in his eyes that was building up that would eventually roll down his cheeks. Job, there was a fire last night. And immediately, Job remembers teaching his oldest son how to walk. The way he stumbled and reached for his hands. You remember his, his daughters having friends over to the house and, that, and the loud screeches they would make as they uh, you know, were just screaming and having fun together. And then there was this one son who would sit at the kitchen table with him. And as the sun would rise, they would share coffee. And Job told him about their God, Yahweh. As Job stood there, he grasped his stomach, almost as if he couldn't breathe, fighting and gasping for air. And the Maytag man continued. 
None of your sons and daughters made it out. Everything is gone. The wealth Job had collected, the workers he employed, and most importantly, his children who he raised, all were gone. And this is what happened. Job fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. But Job's wife said to him, Curse God and be done with it. Curse God and be done with it. The Hebrew word for curse, you know, as it's translated here in the English, is barak, which literally means to kneel before God or bless God. So if we want to get a little bit closer to what Job's wife really is saying, we would understand it more like this. If you continue kneeling before this God, you're going to die yourself. Everyone in this world, in the time of Job, they believed in God, multiple gods. There weren't people who believed in no God. There was no such thing as an atheist. You wouldn't find him. But his wife was saying, Yahweh does not give you life. Look what he took from us. If we continue kneeling before this God, we're going to die ourselves. In other words, we need something different. This isn't working for us. Because obviously, he's taking away our blessings. We've lost everything. Church, hear me. We need a theology that helps us understand how to live when things suck. When following Jesus is not going to make our lives easier or more comfortable. We need to know how, regardless of what happens to us or those we love, to remember and believe that God is still God. He is still there. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus traveled around and I like to think of it as these large groups marching in Washington, D.C. With, uh, with people leading. The gospel refers to these groups as the crowd. And I think of the lawn at the Lincoln Memorial where crowds gather to hear a message, all with the intent of supporting whatever that message might be, usually because they like the person saying it. Jesus turned to a crowd like this and he said, and this is out of Luke chapter 14, he said, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Is there anyone here who, planning to build a new house, doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you know if you can complete it, if you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Or can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it is possible with his 10,000 men 
to face the 20,000 troops of the other. And if he decides he can't, won't he send an emissary and work out a truce? Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Salt is excellent, but if the salt goes flat, it's useless. It's good for nothing. Are you listening to this? Really listening. The salt is our faith. Salt has that edge that really brings the flavor out in our food. Following Jesus is meant to be salty, where we continue to praise God regardless of what happens in our lives. It's what makes life a little salty. It's when those we love are taken from us too soon or when we have a bad, exer- bad experience, but yet we keep our faith. Verse 27 in, in Luke 14 again says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The cross for Jesus was literally a cross, right, which he bore for all of us. He died on that cross, which is a symbol that reminds us of Jesus' perfect obedience to God the Father. Because remember, and this is critical to our faith, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He had the same struggles we have, and his obedience to the Father was perfect. The cost for Jesus was death. But as we all know, our God redeems. And Jesus was redeemed as he rose from the dead. He redeemed all of us and continues to give us hope beyond this life. Please know that God is probably not asking you to give up everything. Probably. But the question you have to answer is this. If what you had was taken from you, would you fall on your knees and praise the Creator? If you were in a relationship that did not honor God or prevented you from following him, would you end it? And to be clear, I'm not talking about marriage. That's, that's a different topic. What I'm talking about is your pride, your stuff, the things that matter to you. Will you allow your faith to remain salty? Because if you leave God when things get tough or you leave his church because you don't like the people in it, Remember, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. So if you love God or the church when things get tough, your faith may not be salty. And I'm talking about the big church, but not Wind River Community Church. But don't forget that our God can redeem us and change our hearts. And this is what Job says to his wife. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? I like to remember this verse in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has plans for each of us. Do you trust that? Do you believe God has plans for you? has a future for you. It doesn't mean that there won't be any trouble, but when trouble comes, will you continue to trust him? Or will you lose your saltiness? 
When Job chose to worship God, even when there was trouble, he was screaming out. He was on his knees, despising his own life, wishing he had never been born. And here's what Job says. Obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. Let it be a black hole in space. May God above forget it ever happened. Erase it from the books. May the day of my birth be buried in deep darkness, shrouded by the fog, swallowed by the night. In the night of my conception, the devil take it, rip the date off the calendar, delete it from the almanac. Oh, turn that night into pure nothingness. No sounds of pleasure from that night ever. May those who are good at cursing curse that day. Unleash the sea beast, Leviathan on it. May its morning stars turn to black cinders, waiting for a daylight that never comes. Never once seeing the first light of dawn. And why? Because it released me from my mother's womb into a life with so much trouble. Job was depressed. And his friends, they came to comfort him with good intentions, but Job argued back, continuing to despise his own life. And most of the book of Job is actually this exchange between Job and his friends. His friends wanted Job to really appeal to God, sort of barter with God to get a better life. They assumed this horrible tragedy in Job's, in Job's life was because of something he himself had done. He deserved it. And Job says, that doesn't help me feel any better. <laughs> you deserved it. But it's not until Job hears from Yahweh himself that he stops despising his own life. The Lord says to Job in his encounter, do you presume to tell me what I'm doing wrong? Are you calling me a sinner so you can be a saint? Do you have an arm like my arm? Can you shout and thunder the way I can? Go ahead, show your stuff. Let's see what you're made of and what you can do. Unleash your outrage. Target the arrogant and lay them flat. Target the arrogant and bring them to their knees. Stop the wicked in their tracks. Make mincemeat out of them. Dig a mass grave and dump them in it. Faceless corpses in an unmarked grave. I'll gladly step aside and hand things over to you, Job. You can surely save yourself with no help from me. So God tells Job, you think you really understand what's going on here? Do you not trust me? How easy is it for us to try and understand everything that happens to us? We assume we deserved it. We did something wrong, or maybe we've done it differently. You know, God, I'm um, not really uh, sure that's the way to bless someone. Um, if you really want to bless someone, you know, maybe they should get a lot of likes on Facebook or something, or, or, you know, make sure that their whole family uh, loves you or they don't die, you know, that would be great. Um, that's how you bless, that's how you can bless us. But as hard as it is sometimes, we have to let God be God and not rattle our month. <clears throat> sometimes we have to let God be God and not rattle our mouth at how horrible our life is because of it not being what we want. But of course, what happened to Job is horrific. But God's in charge. 
And as a disciple of Jesus, we choose to keep our faith salty, knowing that regardless of what happens, God is still in charge. Jesus gives us hope because death has been defeated. We know there is more than this world. We have hope for a future beyond death. Our God works to bring people to himself. He's a jealous God, one who wants all of the worship and all of the glory, whether your life is good or bad, as far as you see it. Job heard all about why this happened from his friends, but it was not until he encountered God directly, and this is when his understanding was changed. He was focused on rumors, stories about God and who he is and how he acts as if he is a specimen that can be examined and manipulated. You cannot examine God, but you can encounter him. At Wind River Community Church, the first step in our mission is to encounter Christ. This can happen in prayer or worship through song or through surface or reading scripture, and probably several other ways. But are you encountering him? Are you meeting Jesus? Or are you just learning about some rumors? I heard this about God. Maybe confirming you already think, confirming what you already think you know. Maybe you've figured out the 10-step method to becoming an effective Jesus follower that will get you into heaven. Job said after he encountered God, I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise. I'll never again on crust. I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay. Crumbs of rumor. If you remember anything from today, I hope that you remember that God is not so interested in you knowing about him. He wants you to encounter him. He wants you to know he loves you, and it's why he sent his son. About six years ago, I went to an international worker site uh, for the Alliance, which is what our church, the movement our church is a part of, and this site was in Senegal, which is a country in West Africa. I flew into the city of Dakar, which is in a western, which is in the, the westernmost tip And as I was getting picked up from a a worker who was there, uh, we were going to be driving a couple hours up to St. Louis, which was a couple hours north. Um, The reason I was traveling there was to attend and support a grand opening for a vocational school. So in Senegal, um, Islam is the dominant religion. And there are boys who are forced to beg for money for their Islamic religious teachers. These boys are often beaten if they don't collect enough. And as a result, they end up uh, without education to provide for their future families and end up spending the rest of their lives on the streets begging. But the reason uh, they're given to these religious leaders to begin with from their parents is it gives their parents hope that maybe they will learn something, be able to get out of the situation they're in. So this school uh, that I went to visit was built to meet a community need which would provide desperately needed skills uh, 
to, to these uh, boys, but it would also foster relationships that uh, might allow some of these boys to know there's a God who wants to encounter them, a God who can give them hope and who desperately, in a jealous way, wants their worship. When I got off the plane, I was clearly in a poor country. It was obvious just by looking at the building. But it wasn't until I walked outside that I really understood how poor it was. The worker picked me up in the, the baggage area, and we walked outside. And as we walked outside, there was a, like a reddish dirt on both sides of the sidewalk we were following. And there were it was like these boys coming to me with open hands, begging for money. And when I say boys, I mean like five, six, seven years old. And not like two, like 15 or 20 boys. And the, the thought I had was, where are their parents? You know, there's no other adults there. There's just a bunch of boys begging, and I'm the only white guy literally in the whole area apart from the person picking me up. And the thought is, because they don't see very many white people uh, like me, that this person has money. They can give me money. Um, it's just a correlation that's often made. Um, but how many of them are wondering like Job? Obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. How many of them are living on rumors about who they think God is without ever encountering when you think about missions, you have to think about people. Do people have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Remember, being a disciple of Jesus means we recognize there might be some sacrifice in following Jesus. Some are called to go to other nations like Senegal and make disciples to provide that message, to give that message they would otherwise have no access to. But others are called to send and make disciples at home. My grandma, she actually uh, graduated from the Missionary Training Institute for the Alliance about 80 years ago, which was in the earlier days of the Alliance. And she had conversations with her dad about becoming a missionary. And her dad always would say, you know, not everyone is called to actually go to Africa or, or whichever country. Um, may have limited access to the gospel. But they will always need support from home. Someone sending them, allowing that message to be sent. So I mentioned that our mission at Wind River Community Church is to encounter Christ, but it's also to reach the world. So next week, um, as we've been talking about for several weeks, is our Great Commission offering. Um, so what that is, is it's a separate offering that we take every year um, just to help the effort that we have in getting the gospel message across the world. So my ask is that you would pray about how you can give so that others may go and provide the gospel of Jesus to those that would otherwise have no access. Um, so I, I want to show a quick video about the... Uh, Great Commission Fund. Great Commission Day 2019 
often. We do this every year because we believe that every person in the world deserves a chance to hear about Jesus. And by rallying together as an Alliance family, we give money to send workers, to extend gospel presence, to create networks of churches so that everybody has a chance to hear about Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that he came for sheep that he knows, those sheep are people, but are not yet a part of the flock. The reason that those people are not yet a part of the flock is because many of them have not even had a chance to hear the message of Jesus Christ. This year's theme of our offering, GC Day, is we're sending. That's because we're in the process of sending a record number of workers, over 60 of them. And we've taken the first couple steps, a strong year-end offering, and we're rallying together to do that, but there's still a gap to send, all 60. So can we take this crucial moment to rally as a church and as individuals to say, we care about people who have not heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ around the world. We've got to send workers. That's the best way to create access, and we're going to do this together. Your gift makes a difference, and your gift will change lives around the world. Thanks for partnering with us. So I, I think I mentioned that, and the worship team can make their way up, um, but I think as I, I think we'd mentioned that there was a half a million dollar match if you gave, and uh, praise God that half a million dollars has, that match has been met. Uh, two weeks ago, so that's awesome that people are, are giving to support the greater mission, the Great Commission Fund. Um, so, as the, the worship team comes up here, um, if you have not encountered God, if you, don't, if you haven't encountered Christ, you've just been living off of rumors and your, your understanding of who you think God is, um, Fred's going to be in the back in our, in our gather area where we, ha where we have sofas. If you feel like you need prayer or you want prayer, uh, please feel free to make your way back there. Um, otherwise, please stand with me. I uh, want to pray and then enter into worship. Heavenly Father, God, we know that things can get tough and challenging in this world where sometimes we don't understand it it makes no sense to us. There's no meaning to it. But God, we know that you're in charge. We know that you have a plan for our lives. And when we don't understand it, help us to trust you. We're thankful for Jesus who you sent to redeem us and help us to continue giving access to that message to those who only wonder, why was I born? It's only pain. It's only work. There's no joy. God, as we go into worship, we bless this time. And we're thankful for all you've given to us. Amen.